You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, it's Thursday, February the 9th. I'm coming to you today from Huntingdon Racecourse. It is the most glorious day. Cloudless sky, temperatures have risen a little as well, up to eight, nine degrees. And I've come here straight from the airport. Well, I popped in at home first. I was in I was in Riyadh yesterday seeing the Saudi Cup hero Emblem Road, uh, more of whom a bit later in the programme with his trainer. Popped home, got in the car, got up here to Huntingdon. And as I say, it's a day from the gods and we might well see uh, a Cheltenham Festival hopeful here today in the shape of Rare Edition, who's the warm favourite for the Sydney Banks Novices Hurdle. Again, we'll be discussing that in a couple of moments' time. Been quite a busy news 24 hours as I've been variously in the air and in the Middle East. The French have uh, taken a, a pretty clear stance on their whip rules. They've reduced the number of strokes from five to four, having reduced it only from six to five a couple of years ago. It's a, a direction of travel thing, according to their chief executive, uh, Olivier Delois. We'll be talking about that. And with that in mind, the new rules in Britain that we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast, they will come into force on Monday. Efforts to delay those till after the Cheltenham Festival have failed. The BHA say they will come into force on Monday. Other issues to take note of, Gordon Elliott, £1,000, his fine for the uh, medication overage of Zana here. Um, BHA describing this as a medication control issue rather than a doping issue. £1,000 he's been fined. And most um, alarmingly for the sport, news of the entry for the Grand National, which has dropped sharply as I welcome in David Yates from the Daily Mirror. We'll talk about all of that in a minute, Dave. What about this Grand National entry? It doesn't look very good. No, it doesn't. Let's look at the figures first, Nick. Um, 85 entries for the Randox Grand National this year. A mere 31 of those are trained in Britain. Uh, Compare that to a figure of 54 in 2022 and 62 in 2021. You can see the pattern emerging here, can't you? Um, That the number of uh, British trained horses is going down. Remember, when Minella Times won the National in 2021, it was dear old Black Lion, who was the only home-trained contender who finished in the first 11. He was six. All the others were trained in Ireland. So it's a worrying trend. And the latest development is merely a continuation of that. Right. The BHA handicapper with a responsibility for the Grand National is, of course, Martin Greenwood. And he he's with me now. And Martin, I was quite struck by your passion when you were talking about the lack of British entries in this year's Grand National. How worried and upset are you by this? Um, yeah, I'm sort of half expecting it, to be fair. Um, I think it's just very disappointing and it's just almost further evidence um, of the problems that we're up against in national racing in this country. Um the point I made yesterday was that more British horses are entered in the Ida Chase, which closed on the same day as the National, than the actual National, which we've only got 31 runners, of which about six aren't even qualified at the minute. So that brings it down to the mid-20s. And of those, only so many will get in 
um, probably at 142 and above or whatever the cutoff will be this year. Um, I am a passionate national fan. I always have been. Uh, just taking my BHA hat off for a minute. Um, I just think it's extremely disappointing that um, so few entries have been uh, put forward this year. Why do you think it is, Martin? I mean, I, I realise that th- there's a trend here, and I realise we've been talking for years about the English-Irish disparity and, and quantity of, of good quality horses between each of the countries. But why that precipitous, sharp drop-off, even since last year, when we were already talking about the same thing? Yeah, that, that is... I'm, 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 I'm going to be totally honest, and I'm not quite sure, because... If you look at sort of the Welsh National and some of the bigger handicap chases this season, you know, uh, Newbury, et cetera, et cetera, they've all had, all or not, massive entries. They've had more entries than the Grand National, which is worth a million pounds plus. I can only assume, and I underline the word assume, that people are put off by the Irish contingent even more, knowing that plenty of Irish horses will be entered. I've been trying to sort of suggest that certain trainers, certain horses should be aimed at the national. I won't name them. And I just think there's a reluctance to run horses from this side of the Irish Sea in the national that haven't got a more exposed profile, i.e. by that I mean the Irish trainers are quite willing to run novices. Noble Yates is an obvious, an obvious example of that lightly raced horses, horses who haven't been proven at the trip, unless it's a quagmire, the race has changed unbelievably. You need good unexposed uh, horses in a race like that and I'm still not sure British or some British trainers are happy to run horses of that nature in a race like the Grand National. Talk to me about this in the round, in the context of national hunt racing as a whole, um, as you say, you're a passionate National Hunt fan. Um, is it is it alarmist to say that this is indicative of a of the sport you know, sliding into oblivion potentially? Well, I think the alarm bells have been ringing for a few seasons, and I'm obviously not alone in saying that. But I think this entry could be akin to Big Ben chiming thirteen times. If this isn't a wake up call, and again, I won't be the only person suggesting this then I don't know what will be. And what do you think we need to do as a as a sport? What do you think practitioners need to do? What do you think all of us need to do? Um, that, that's a million dollar question, isn't it? Uh, I mean, there's people at the BHA, obviously, where I'm employed, who are on much higher pay grades than me, and are, I'm hopefully going to try and sort this out. I don't think there's an easy fix uh, for all the reasons that have been discussed over the last few years regarding the Irish strong stronghold, lots of owners out there spending fortunes. So I do have certain sympathies for British trainers as well. It's not, it's not this. My comments aren't aimed at belittling British trainers because I do understand the situation. But if we're not careful, we're going to end up. I mean, even this year, the national, we could end up with thirty of the forty runners being trained in Ireland maybe a quarter of the runners from one stable or half of the runners from two stables. How that's good for for jump racing, full stop. But especially British racing, national racing. Um, it's, it's sort of mind-blowing in a way. Martin Greenwood, the head of jumps handicapping for the BHA. And I, I, I would venture to suggest I, I was really interested in what Martin had to say, Dave, 
he's not on message here particularly, is he? Though it's it's a refreshing honesty. He'd have made a great old school political orator, I always think. Yeah, he, he's punchy and he's passionate, Martin. And I, I must say, I agree with pretty much every word that he said there. Um, the, the we we can see from the last few years the way that uh, the trend is going, the strength of Ireland and the relative uh, weakness of uh, Britain. We're going to see that, I suspect, over the four days of Cheltenham next month. And this is just another indicator of it. Um, the uh, it, it's I, I found it also instructive what Kim Bailey had said, and, and I agree with this, and obviously this chimes with what Martin said uh, too, that um, you're looking at horses essentially in the 150s um, that uh, are contesting the national these days, and there are just so many fewer of those trained in Britain uh, than there are in Ireland. And uh, Martin came up, I think, with the, the figure in today's trade paper that in the last couple of years, it's been a 50-50 split. Now it's 63% in terms, uh, in, in the favour of the Irish. And again, I mean, it, how, how long before that gets into the 70s? All right, well, we might be lamenting the, the field size or the potential field size for one marquee handicap, but... It's just worth noting that given Keith Otterson's concerns earlier in the week, the Betfair hurdles held up quite well. As of all the decks at Newbury, to be honest, there's 18 in the Betfair hurdle, which is a lot better than you might have expected at the beginning of the week. Two of those are trained by Chris Gordon. They're Aucun Risque and Highway 102. They're both admirable horses in their in their own way. Highway 102 ran in the race last year. Aucun Risque is a horse who's switching back from fences. Chris joins me now. Chris, let's talk about Aucun Risque first of all. Um, yeah. Do you think? Do you think he's got anything? Anything left in hand? We know how game and honest and 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 classy he is, but has he got anything left in hand of the handicapper? Well, I hope so, Nick. It's one of those things that you know when you look at his profile levels. Basically, every time he's run, he's he's, he's stepped up a gear, um, stepped up notch each time. So you know, he's won four, six, seven fences. Not, you know, I wanted to go. We'd probably go for the Grand Annual at um, Cheltenham. And it's one of those sort of situations. I thought, well, you know, basically we won three ace over hurdles. And I thought, God, if I'm going to have a go at a hurdle, let's go for a good one, you know. Um, and he's adapted back to hurdles very, very well. I've obviously popped him back and um, back over them. So no, I'm really, really happy with him at home. But, you know, I'd like to think we'd find a little bit more because he has done ever since I've been running in his very first time in the bumper. So I suppose the, the, simple, the simple point is you feel that his improvement is simply improvement. It's not just come because he's, he's jumping fences now. I don't think so. I think it's just a gradual improvement all the way through. His profile's got he's picked up more and more. So, and that and that's why I'm having a go at this, you know. And he's a very straightforward, honest horse. And my other horse will help him out too because he'll get out and go a gallop, and that's what all can risk once. Uh, and I, I presume you would rather Ocon Risk didn't try and engage with the Highway One or One or Two and, and those pace pushes early on. You don't want him to get right in the in the thick of it too early. I would love him to just sit behind and have a nice lead for once. You know, over fence, we've had to go and do the donkey work to get on with it and use his jumping. Um, but, you know, like 102 is a horse that has plenty of boot in him and, uh, you know, he loves jumping out and just getting on getting on with it, making it a hell of a go. It'd be a very honest gallop. It'd be a well-run bet fair, that's for sure. Can I, can I, I'm going to say something that, that might sound a bit stupid, but um, being beaten 24 lengths by Constitution Hill might actually be a really, really good run. I mean, mightn't it? Even on the face of it. 
yeah, I, I personally, knowing the horse, I think that was his best run ever. And, um, and, and you know, we, we, we were very keen to go for the Betfair Exchange at Ascot, which is £150,000 handicap. That was a plan with him. Of course, it was called off, which was a nightmare. And, and my options were at that particular time, what the hell do I do? And I thought, at least if, you know, there wasn't a nice handicap around for him. Um, and I thought, well, let's take Constitution Hill and see if we can burn some money, which we did. Take Constitution Hill out. My God, you know, we run a blinder behind the mayor, haven't we, Epitone? So, um, you know, I, I, after that, I was thinking, oh, my God, is that is the handicap going to shift us up? No, I was praying not, obviously, because um, it put you off from rain horses like that in that sort of race and boosting the numbers. Um, and luckily, he left us alone. But for me, I think if you watch that, you know, like Constitution Hill, some sort of freak, isn't he? But... Well, afterwards, when they were saying Epiton, that was as good as she was last year. I did take it with a bit of a pinch of salt, but, um, you know, our boy, you know, when, when you saw her come out next time and absolutely hose up. Um, and our fellow, Jamie was very, very, he looked after him that day. Yeah, and he, he's run he's run pretty well, whichever way you look at it. Um, Chris, the horses are in really sparkling form. Five winners from your last your last 12 runners. Um this is this is turning out to be quite a season. Yeah, it's a great it's a great season. You know, it's um, no, it's been going really well. We had a good season last year, so it's nice to be able to back it up again. And and it's just getting that little bit more quality in the yard. It's what it all comes down to. Um, so no, onwards and upwards. Hopefully. Thanks a lot, Chris. Cheers, Nick. Many thanks. Now, David, you're a big fan of Sandown Park Racecourse, aren't you? I am indeed, massive fan. Um, and what would you say has been your has been your most vivid memory of racing at Sandown? I would say my most vivid memory of racing at Sandown was the 2009 Coral Eclipse uh, when See the Stars walked into the paddock and on all sides of the paddock there was this collective uh, intake of breath of to what a fantastic specimen See the Stars was. And and as far as jumping is concerned, will you agree that the Betfair Imperial Cup Day is one of the one of the great days of the year with that unique pre-Cheltenham buzz to it? Yeah, it's got a, an atmosphere all of its own. The the feeling that the Cheltenham Festival is uh, just a few days away, the fact that there's the or certainly in the past has been the bonus for horses winning the Imperial Cup and going on score at Cheltenham. Yes, very much a a, a unique. It's it's like sitting in a theatre like sitting in the, the Royal Opera House at Covent Garden uh, 90 seconds before the, the curtain goes up. Oh, so good. And imagine if you could go to the Royal Opera House at Covent Garden 90 seconds before the curtain goes up for a tenner, £10 to Sandown Imperial Cup Day 4. Nick Luck Daily Podcast listeners only. Using the code NL10, you can secure half-price tickets to the grandstand enclosure uh, Betfair Imperial Cup Day on Saturday the 11th. But get a move on, maximum four tickets per order because there are only 500 of these babies going half price at NL10. Jockeyclub.co.uk forward slash Sandown is where you need to go. And that's the code you need. Let's talk about the whip, as I know it's one of your favourite subjects, Dave. Uh, we can talk about this in, in, in tandem, France and England. The French have been pretty straightforward here. One stroke off, you're only allowed four now um and there's going to be you know no review there will be a betting in period like there has been in in britain um but they've tightened the whip rules with a with a view to to i think ultimately eradicating its use altogether in britain the betting in period will end on monday it was given an extra week but efforts to to force it beyond cheltenham and entry ha have been unsuccessful it will press ahead from from monday 
Yes, that's right. Uh, well, I've always been uh, effusive in my praise of uh, Olivier Delois of uh, France Gallo. I'm afraid I'm going to have to depart from uh, that here. I, I, it just seems ridiculous to me. I, I think, you know, we, we, we're getting to the point with the reduction of strokes in the wit where it's, it, and, and I suppose this is essentially the direction of travel that they want to take with it. it when, when a horse is asked for its efforts, say on the flat during the final two furlongs of a race, I, I should think a few jockeys would think, well, if I'm if I'm going to be allowed four strokes, you might as well take it away because that is not going to uh, that is not sufficient to communicate to a horse through the final two furlongs, the final furlong and a half of a race that it must not stop running. It must extend itself until I give it the signal uh, to stop by dropping my hands after the winning post. If you're going to give me uh, four strokes you might as well take it away altogether I, I suspect that's the way they're going with it and as no one will be surprised to hear I find that a profoundly depressing state of affairs in a, a, a race a, a sport that uh, the whip helps to define champions and I think it does so within ethical boundaries but I've said that a million times well now I've said it a million and one um, with regard to our own bedding in period yeah I mean Willie Mullins was the the latest trainer um, who added his voice to the, uh, delay the introduction of the, uh, the the new rules. There was a, a press visit to Clusutton on Monday. He said, I'm absolutely keeping out of whip rules, but then went on to say... But then got, they, they got right stuck into it. Why do they always bring this up before Cheltenham? It should be done after Cheltenham during the off-season. It's like bringing in new rules before the semi-finals and final of the World Cup in soccer it's a shooting yourself in the foot job um so his views are pretty clear but uh they have fallen on deaf ears paul nichols expressed similar sentiments a week or so ago but uh the bedding in period ends uh, next monday and then after that we'll see how things go it, it, it the listening to uh the bha and listening to different commentators uh there is a very broad spectrum to aim at here it could be absolute chaos or it could as the bha hope work seamlessly i suspect it's going to be somewhere in the middle um we will learn won't we of the first referrals if the if the the wall the, the rules come into effect on monday mm -hmm. february the 13th we will hear of the first referrals, won't we, on the 21st, Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday the 21st? Tuesday the 21st. And if, so if there's anything terrible, then that could sit squarely round round the Cheltenham time. I don't think it's... I think it'll be okay, he says. he's. You can, you can come back and play this back to me and I'll have egg dripping down my face, not for the first time on this issue. But if you notice, the heat's come out of the debate in the last six or seven days and evidently some some common sense and some common ground has been found between the rule makers and the participants in order that the, that the regulations that have been put on the table are are workable and that there is a degree of satisfaction. I think now the jockeys just have a responsibility. Don't break the rules and you'll be fine. Yeah, I think that that's... I, I, my source was not from the BHA, but from um, the uppermost echelons of the training ranks i've already mentioned his name on this podcast uh today and he said to me that you know I, I rang him last week to see where we were with this and he said that um he was happy with the dialogue 
that had taken place. He didn't want to be quoted at the time, but he was confident that uh, the, that there wasn't uh, a huge chasm between the two parties and that, um, that the issue could move forward without great controversy. So we'll see how that unfolds. I assume you're talking about Willie Mullins. I know you've got a good line into the yard. Moving on. Right. Let's move on. Serious face. Gordon Elliott, £1,000 for um, the medication uh, offence that we were speaking about extensively on the podcast yesterday. This was a metabolite of lidocaine that was found in Zanahir post the champion hurdle 2022. Zanahir passed the post in third place. He has been disqualified. Elliot's been fined £1,000, which some correspondents are saying, oh, he's only been fined a grand for a doping offence. Well, British Horse Racing Authority are keen to point out that it is not a doping offence. It is a medication control issue. You say, well, isn't this just semantics? So I would summarise it thus, Dave. The reason he's been given £1,000 right at the lower end of the punishments available to the independent judicial panel is because of the nature of the substance, the amount of the substance, and the what they would describe as the um, rigorous analysis of the source of the substance, which the assumption is has come from uh, some Bongella or similar that one of the stable staff was using. So there you go. That's the case. What do you make of it? Yeah, the BHA sought... Um, they they uh, cited significant failings in working practices among uh, the staff at uh, Kulentra, um, which um, could increase, as you say, the likelihood of cross-contamination, uh, including an absence of training or guidance to members of staff about how to reduce the risk of cross-contamination. Uh, cross However, as you say, uh, given the uh the other facts surrounding the case the particularly the the amount um that was in uh, Zanahir's system this was towards the bottom of the culpability scale uh Gordon Elliott said I'm grateful to the panel for making a finding of low culpability uh this was important to me um whilst accepting full responsibility for the failure um yeah it's interesting this I mean that the um the the the, the punishment uh, obviously make it towards the bottom end of the scale. Um, I think that the timing for this is quite interesting. You know, I, I'm pretty sure that um, we were talking about this in late spring with Zana here. And there have been several cases recently where it, it's been pointed out that the wheels of justice at the BHA seem to... Um, grind inordinately slowly but it's it, it's taken a long time for this to uh, come to a conclusion and as you would expect it gets uh stirred up and it spirals out of control on social media so again in terms of timing that's something that the uh, the bha might wish to look at in future yeah, their contention is and i've challenged them on this that the longer time gets taken to deliver a a result like this is is testament to the the thorough nature of the investigation to try and determine the source of the of the contaminant or the source of the of the medication overage um and there was not a criticism of a delay from the the panel or indeed from uh gordon elliott's legal counsel so that's the situation with with zana here though clearly the timing and the profile of elliott and indeed the horse have perhaps placed a, a more intense spotlight on this case than otherwise um, would have been the case. 
All right, well, David Yates is still with me. Dave, you're, you, I'm at Huntington today. Uh, you are, I'm sure, rather envious because the feature race is a very good one. It is indeed. The Sydney Banks, uh, Shishkin won this a couple of years ago prior to going on to win the Supreme Novices. Rare Edition is going to be a hot favourite here. Um, this horse is unbeaten for Charlie Longston, a bumper and three victories over hurdles. The most recent of those came at Kempton on Boxing Day and he was really impressive, scored by seven lengths from Rubo uh, that day. He's a 14 to 1 shot for the Supreme Novices hurdle and according to my uh, odds comparison site that makes him the shortest priced home challenger facile vega marine national illetetant ampere et pass gaelic warrior high definition and then rare edition so he's a best price 14 to 1 if he defends his unbeaten record he'll be a bit shorter than that and hopefully uh will give the home contingent something to cheer about on the 14th of march well as you know, I've just come back from Riyadh. We remain on the road to Riyadh, so I welcome Martin Kelly to the show. It's um, it's all it's all the wrong way round this week somehow, Martin. But I I uh, enjoyed catching up with Emblem Road yesterday. Yeah, we should be doing this. I should be introducing you and asking you what's been happening in in Saudi. Um, it must have been great to be out there and and see last year's winner up close. Yeah, well, I tell you what, that let's start let's start with him then because um he is the defending champion. He's trained um and has been trained extremely well by Mitab Al-Molawa. Uh, he also had the fourth last year, making miracles. He's double-handed this year. And I got the chance to see the horse yesterday and catch up with his his son, Saad. So can Emblem Road defend his crown successfully in the 2023 Saudi Cup? Saad is with me, the assistant trainer to his father. Just first of all, Saad, take me back to last year and, and just explain what a, a moment that was for you and your family. Actually, it was a very special moment, especially for like the prince and for my dad. First uh, Saudi Cup, locally bred Saudi Cup winner from our stable. It was so special. Um, it's an unforgettable night. Hopefully, we'll do it for the second year in a row. And what difference has it made to your to your stable? Is is everything bigger, better, brighter, smarter now? Actually, yeah. <laughs> Now we're not only thinking uh, like uh, inside Saudi Arabia. We want to go as well to the U.S. We went to France. We will go maybe to the U.S. Hopefully, we'll see what the prince decides and we'll work based on what he says. This is Prince Saud, Prince Salman, the the owner of of Emblem Road. Do you think he's in as good form now as he was going into the race last year? Yeah, I think he's good, and personally, I think he's better than last year. And like after his last race, he improved a lot. And hopefully he's going to defend his title. Has he always shown lots of ability? Ever since you, you first got him here, he was a Florida breeze up horse originally, wasn't he? Yeah, but uh, then he came here for uh, an, another owner. Mm -hmm. And he sold it in the sales in here. Prince Saud bin Salman bought him. We know that he have a big potential. He wasn't bought for a small amount. He was bought for uh, actually uh, a good amount. A yeah. good amount. So we knew he had a potential. When he came to us, we started training him. He's, he was like improving more and more every day. He, first time he raced with us in Taif, he won far, far away. Then he came in here. We know that he's a special horse. We chose his races in order to go to the Saudi Cup, and he did it, thanks God. Yeah, it was a, an extraordinary performance around the outside and they went too fast early on, the Americans. I'm imagining you're hoping for a similar setup. Do you think he could break more smartly this time? 
I think like uh, that's the way he breaks. That's the way he comes. Like he don't go like in front and he stays. No, he comes from behind, and that's like what or like that's the difference between him and Scotland Yard this year. Scotland Yards go with the front runners, but he comes from behind. So I think that's the best position for him. Okay, you might have the enemy lurking within. So last year it was this horse and making miracles. They were first and fourth. This time it's Emblem Road and Scotland Yard for you. Now Scotland Yard made a very striking impression. In the in the big trial race uh, for this uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, how well has he trained since then? He's actually great. Like he's been improving, and uh, this year, like we tried the Scotland Yard first time in the maiden, he won easily. Then he went to the Prince Faisal uh, King Faisal sorry King Faisal Cup, and he won again. Then we decided to go to the King's Cup. And he, like he won with an impressive uh, performance, and he's getting better and better. Hopefully, he's gonna do much more than what he did before. Which one do you think has the better chance, Emblem Road or Scotland Yard? Emblem Road. Are you sure? <laughs> uh, no, I can't be sure. Both of them are good. Both of them are showing like uh, like the skills that they have, and uh, hopefully they both do good. But personally, I would go with Emblem Road. Thanks for having us here in Riyadh, Sad. Good luck. Thank you a lot. Thanks for you as well. So confidence from the assistant trainer of Emblem Road. What other news in in the in the road to Riyadh or on the road to Riyadh this week, Martin? It's been busy, hasn't it, with the press conference that you hosted on Monday. News there that Asheen Murphy will have a high-profile ride on Saturday Cup night. He's going to be aboard Miss the Cut in the Neon Turf Cup. The BHA on Tuesday clearing Murphy to return to the saddle. He's had 14 months on the sidelines after a failed alcohol tests and breaching COVID rules. But uh, George Bowie, his trainer, wants consistency for the horse. They've got big plans for him through the summer. Um, Asheen's had one ride from six, uh, sorry, one win from six for uh, for George so far. But he's a good horse, Mr. Cut, a Royal Ascot winner by Quality Road, the sire of Emblem Road. He's won four of his six starts. George was saying to you they had an idea of going for the Saudi Cup, but off a mark of 111, he won't get in there. So Neom Turf is where he'll go. Asheen will be on board. And his form looks good. Algiers, who he beat at Lingfield, has come out to win uh, the first two rounds of the Elmat Tomb Challenge. He was a Saudi Cup possible, Algiers, but I spoke to Simon Crisford yesterday, and that horse will re uh, remain in Dubai and head straight to Dubai World Cup. All right, that is um, uh, Al news of Algiers and Mr. Cut. Uh, people will be puzzled as to why Ryan Moore's not riding Mr. Cut. And obviously, that quest for consistency is, is clearly what what George Bowie is after. Um, you know, consistency of availability is what I mean there. But he has got to ride in the race, though. He has, yeah. It's going to be on board Sabuska, who we partnered at Lingfield a couple of weeks ago. Go. That was the horse's 39th start in the Tandridge Stakes, but he lost a bit of ground at the start. He was maybe eight lengths behind the pace setter as they settled down early, and he'd done a similar thing last year in the, the Queen Anne, and, and both times at York he was slowly away. So that's something that William Knight and the team will have to work on ahead of the Neon Turf. And William, revealing to you as well, the Saudi Cup had been an option for Sabuska, but the longer trip on grass, they thought, was a more suitable target. Okay, Frankie Dottori, we can't keep him out of the headlines at the moment. No. Yeah, he was on with you. He was obviously on, on Monday evening talking about uh, country grammar. The horse is bidding to go one place better than when beaten half a length into second under Flavian Pratt last year. But uh, country grammar, 
He's two from two for Dottori. They won the Dubai World Cup together and he won the San Antonio out at Santa Anita on Boxing Day to really kickstart his Californian campaign. Uh, Frankie's saying to you that the horse retains all the ability from last year. This has always been the aim. And a real big boost, I think, as well for Saudi Arabia. Frankie's saying he's been there, been heading out there for 30 years now. He said that the track's got a beautiful layout and he described it as the best dirt course in the world. All right. What else have we got to look at, look out for this week? I mean, really not long to go now until the big race. Uh, no, lots to look out for. Uh, likely fields out tomorrow. And just worth having a look on the Saudi Cup Twitter feed as well. There's a lovely video there with John Hunter called last year's race, reflecting on it and the, the really emotional scenes on the back of it as well. Uh, so that's something to look out for on the Saudi Cup Twitter feed. All right, Martin. Thanks very much. Cheers, Nick. So I came to Riyadh for a couple of days just to do some filming around King Abdulaziz's racetrack. Just in preparation for the Saudi Cup a, a couple of weeks' time, I'm staying in the Andorra village, which has been here for a couple of years and it's sort of rapidly expanding sort of big sort of visitors' apartment complex and hotel attached. And very nice gentleman who's part of the catering team here in the, in the hotel restaurant came up and started chatting to me about, about horse racing. It transpires he's... Um, completed a fairly unique double of having broken in a golden slipper winner in Australia and worked alongside Card at Colin Tizard's stable and now here he is in Riyadh. I say this only to tell you that it's a very, very small world, Zahir Abbas. It really is a small world, isn't it? Yes, it is, sir. It is nice to see you here in Indora village. It was very surprising. Basically, you know, when I saw you, I mean, you know, it is nice. Yeah. And you, you thought, I, th I think I recognise that bloke. Anyway, we, we established the connection in the end, and then, yeah. and then we got chatting. So tell me where your, your life in horse racing began. So I started in India, and uh, I was working uh, around the world. I, I went to Malaysia, I was working there. From Malaysia to Australia, from Australia to come back again, and uh, went to England. So in England, I worked for... Uh, uh, Roger Charlton and uh, yeah, Q card trainer uh, Colin Tizard. Then, yeah, then came back again. I went back to Australia in 2016. From 2016 to 2020, I was there in Australia. Then I came back for a vacation and I got stuck in COVID. So all borders was closed. So there was no way to go. So then I thought like I'll go to Saudi. There was only one border open. So I came here, I tried my luck here to get into horse racing. So here they have a seasons like uh, in winter they run in Riyadh. And out of the winter, I mean, they go to, uh, there is a place called uh, uh, Taif. So they race there. So that time all trainers were there. So there in, uh, in Saudi, there is a problem. You know, I have bought my own visa. Mm -hmm. It's like um, independent visa, they say. So I came here, then uh, it was uh, for six months. So in six months, you have to transfer to your thing, uh, to, to some other uh, person, I mean, who was sponsoring you. So that didn't happen. So I was looking for a job and it didn't work out. So then I got a job in a hotel. So I just joined it because of the visa, you know. So you're just here just waiting really until yeah. until you until the next move no sir it's it's not because of that it's already been transferred once you transfer to whoever you work mm. so you're stuck for two years here so that's what happened to me you know so when i came here so everyone was racing in uh, Taif. 
so i didn't had any chance here to you know and i was new to this place i don't have any contact and link mm. so that's why it happened so then after that i came here and uh, so you know I, my visa was getting end so i have to do something about it so i just applied here to the hotel so because in uh, where i was working in uh, lambon mm. i was working in a hotel spice valley in a part time job so work in the morning uh, for uh, hill charlie hills mm-hmm. in the beginning time when i was looking for a job so work in the morning for charlie hills then evening i used to work for a uh, uh, in spice valley restaurant in lambon so that's how you know i know from there i started with working in restaurant i worked in australia also then i had this you know extra talent so i came here and i joined and i'm here you you are you are nothing if not versatile as here not only have you have you worked on these restaurants but you've done an incredible amount across so many different stables so you showed me a video yes. last night of you breaking in yes a, a filly in australia yes, uh, was it edge to hub uh, yeah is the estejab uh, estejab sorry yeah. Yeah, who won the golden slipper yeah golden slipper yeah 2018 golden slipper she won yeah and that must have given you a massive thrill to have been so closely involved in in bringing her along Sir yeah this is a uh, it is very i mean any breaking horse is very proud you know when the horse becomes very well i broken a lot of horses sir, like um, uh, hestaja was one of them and uh, um uh, alto hard babies alto has there is a stallion lot of his babies and for hong kong jockey club we broke around 200 horses sir Wow. by myself yeah because the names you know they have a different names when they go run in hong kong so yeah it is very hard to follow them but yeah 200 almost i broke for hong kong jockey club wow 200 breakers for hong kong yeah. golden slipper winner but your work in england again extraordinary you, you were with roger charlton for a period yes. who were the big horses you you were involved with at, uh, at charlton yes. uh, one horse uh, is a projection which mm. i worked with and there was for with me for for four horses were there one blackney point uh, projection and uh, huntsman and other two you know i i don't remember the names at the moment yeah but i think people will remember blakeney point and they'll yeah. certainly remember projection who raced for the royal ascot racing club you were there in the days of time test as well yes i was there in the time test sir. yeah time test and uh, um uh, al kazim they were there that time i was there so yes and and I, there's a great picture of you we'll put on the on the twitter feed leading in projection at, uh, at royal ascot as well how did you get involved with with colin tizard in in the great days of qcard Sir when I came to England uh, you know I was working for Raj Charlton and in a period of time you know uh, when season gets end uh, racing in winter so what we do is I, they asked me to go take a vacation whatever so I didn't had much time so because of that I have to go to um uh, you know I asked I was looking for a job for a month or two months so I went and joined uh, Colin Tizard yes sir How, how did you find it down in Dorset? Yeah, it was nice experience working with Colin Tizard. Yeah. I mean, it was a he's a great trainer. And yeah, for first time I was working for show I mean, uh, hunting races. So yeah, it is good nice. Yeah. And so here you are in in Saudi Arabia and you you said you've got to be where your visa is for for 2 years. Yes. What's the what's the dream? What's the ultimate goal? So I wanted to I mean, see sir my from childhood i had this uh, passion 
you know riding uh, good horses around the world i wanted to be a jockey i couldn't so but uh, yeah so it is good sir riding all good breeds working for good trainers sharing your experience you know that's my thing and i've done is almost i've done my achievement so now i am in saudi yeah but unfortunately i couldn't get into racing because of uh, situation but inshallah i'll get soon uh, might go to dubai also sir you know every part of country i want to go and ride yeah but i have been in 2006 i been offered a job in america for dot lecture also but only my visa got rejected so i couldn't make it Yes, well, fingers crossed. Maybe you will you will make it yes, there sir. as the next stop, or perhaps Dubai. There is barely a frontier that you haven't conquered. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you, Zahir. And see you next time, Zahir Abbas from uh, Bangalore via Malaysia to Australia to the UK, Charlton, Tizard, could be Pletcher next, could be Dubai. Who knows? But keep an eye out. Well, funny old world, isn't it? Amazing who you meet, and my very best wishes to Zahir. What a what a lifetime he's already given to horse racing and. He's uh, he's a pretty young guy as well. Um, David Yates is still with me. Uh, David, it seems as though, after all the speculation last year, Netflix have finally shown a, a meaningful interest in horse racing. They're going to screen a Road to the Kentucky Derby series, which is about to about to get underway filming very soon across all the all the trial races leading up to the run for the Roses first Saturday in May. And that's in association with Box to Box, the production company we were speaking about. And responsible for drive to survive and so forth yeah they, they, they've got a, a wealth of material to work with i'm i'm envious of uh people who can do stuff like that in america because this will trigger calls when 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 this news um spreads this will trigger calls in uh britain for something similar to happen but of course as all of us know when you watch the preamble and obviously you've worked on uh, many of these uh, on site the 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 preamble to the Kentucky Derby is it the the Kentucky Derby walk is always a a fascinating thing to watch because you have such a variety of people uh, who are connected with the runners in the Kentucky Derby of course in Britain we are not so fortunate so it wouldn't work quite as well you know you've got obviously a huge stake in the race with Coolmore you've then got um you've then got Godolphin etc etc and you know you're not going to get an open house with Sheikh Mohammed these days um it's going to be very interesting what one aspect of it that I think is perhaps a little awkward is is where does Bob Baffert feature in all this because he's going to train presumably a number of horses for this race who given his record in the Kentucky Derby are going to be quite well fancied and then they will go to other yards before running at Churchill Downs and I think that's a that's a pretty sticky one for um for the documentary makers to deal with I suppose they've just got to present that as it is but I do think that's a, a bit of a tricky one but I'm envious of the uh, the the material that they'll have to work with because i'm sure that'll make for a, a fascinating series of programs yeah and if they did what they did with with drive to survivor the, the first principle is make it good make it good tell the stories well find the most compelling cast of characters i know they're scouring the us for those at the moment but they need to get their skates on and worry more about the quality of the product than what your aims are in increasing you know, the popularity of the sport because you can only achieve the second if you if you achieve the first. So your guiding principles got to be 
make a good show. And I think yeah, I agree. Their, you know, pedig- the, their pedigree suggests they will. If you take your eye off the ball, in the sense that that you've just described, um, you can you a you don't do a proper job, uh, and b there is a sense that I I think with with efforts like that, if you do try to um, if your primary motivation is to uh, attract new people. The, the chances are that not only do you do a, a worse job than you would have done otherwise, but also I think people can viewers can can sniff that out. They they they're not they're not stupid. They they can uh, they can smell a rat that this is a PR exercise rather than a documentary. Everyone wants to watch a documentary. Hardly anyone wants to watch a PR exercise. Yeah, I agree with you. So um, take take guidance from um race course and uh kentucky derby marketing men but don't let them dictate your editorial would be would be my would be my advice not that it's needed what would your advice be for punters this afternoon dave well we're going to go to the 158 at fours last this afternoon number eight madrini uh, this horse was in the process of running really well when falling at the last at taunton 17 days before christmas that was on the back of a wind operation i hope that christian williams six-year-old can make amends here 158 race at fours last selection number eight madrini david thank you thank you very much for your company today we will see you again tomorrow that was thursday february the 9th what a beautiful day here at huntingdon wish you were here See you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.